Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. for Harris, centers in front, Pizzetta to the goal, he scores! Michael Pizzetta on the backhand on another one that Spencer Martin might like back and it's 4-0 Canadians. And it looks like Colin Delia will be coming in. Cucamonga! Pedersen might have got his stick in there, but now here's Pedersen to the goal, he scores! Elias Pedersen ends a wild night tonight in Vancouver. Well, I don't know, crazy, you know, it was a crazy game. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer today. I also mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios. In beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, tell the fine people more about Kintech. Well, my brain barely works okay. after watching last night's Canucks game, but uh, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Is it possible to have a hockey game hangover? Yes, because I think you have one right yeah, now. Yeah, like I feel like I, I do. Does anyone have some Gatorade here? I feel dehydrated after watching that roller coaster of emotions last night. I've got half night. a Pedialyte in my bag. <laughs> oh, perfect, that, perfect. Right? Yeah, I always feel a bit funny yeah. drinking that stuff, but when you need it, when you need it. When you're in the checkout as a grown-up with a Pedialyte and not a child, and there's a child with his parent in the same lineup also getting a Pedialyte, that's one of those moments. Yeah. You're having a moment. They're like, to you, stomach flu? Or like, no, Roxy. Yeah. Why is that large man sobbing quietly to himself, Mom? <laughs> He's got a bag of McDonald's and a Pedialyte. Okay, uh, big show ahead here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're going to go back to Qatar once again at 6.30 for the last time with Peter Galindo. He'll be on a plane home, I believe, tomorrow. It's his tenure in Qatar is done, but we'll talk to him. We'll put a bow on everything that Canada did at the World Cup. We are now six-eighths of the way through the quarterfinalists, meaning we know six of the eight quarterfinalists. Uh, the final two will be decided today. It'll either be Spain or Morocco in the one game, and Switzerland and Portugal in the other one. So we'll talk to Peter about that at 6.30. 7 o'clock, David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet NHL host. We'll go around the NHL with him. We'll talk about that wild and wacky game last night between the Vancouver Canucks and the Montreal Canadiens. If you did not stay up, and this is your first bit of sports in the morning. I don't know at what point you might have pulled the plug on that game. But uh, if you pulled the plug at 4 nothing, man, do we have a story to tell you later. We'll get to that later, though. Uh, David Amber at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer. Thomas Drance, Athletic Vancouver. And, of course, uh, the Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Talked to Drancer about last night. We'll talk to him. about What a crazy, what are we at here? From Saturday, 72 hours, mm -hmm. 96 hours. Yeah. Like everything has happened and it's the dizzying highs, dizzying lows, creamy middles. There's been a lot going on. So we'll talk to Drancer at eight, David Amber at seven, Peter Galindo at six thirty. 
relatively light night uh, on the NHL and NBA calendar. Nine NHL games, that's decent. You get to see Montreal back in action tonight in Seattle. Three NBA games. I mentioned the World Cup. 7 a.m. kickoff, so we're about an hour away from Morocco and Spain. And then, of course, we got Switzerland and Portugal and the under-fire Cristiano Ronaldo at 11 a.m. Do you think he'll play today? Do you think he'll start? <sighs> that's a great question because mm-hmm. I, I have read a lot where they're saying this just might be the bridge too far. For those that have no idea what they were talking about, he he complained about being taken off in the mm-hmm. last match, and the gaffer was not happy about it. And he actually called his gaffer by the wrong name. He called him Eric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tanakh. Which is a problem. Uh, so I don't know what's going to happen. There's, I've heard a lot of people say if there was a time to make a statement, and to be quite honest, get a better lineup on the field, because he's not been great for Portugal in this tournament. Oh, don't tell him that. His ego couldn't handle it. Now would be the time to do it, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, we got a big show ahead. Uh, that's the guest list. That's what's happening. Uh, we've got giveaway later in the week, right? We're not doing a Canucks ticket giveaway until Thursday now. Thursday, Friday for Canucks, but we do have... The Scenic Rush giveaway. Now, it's not a giveaway. I should make this clear. We don't do the full giveaway until Friday's show, which is going to be... You get to drive one of the supercars up the Sea to Sky Highway, three-hour trip, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Corvette, the whole nine. Uh, we're going to take another entrant into our grand prize draw today at 8 o'clock, although A-Dog has probably already selected the winner. Is that correct? I did it a couple days ago. Nice. Wicked. Okay, so hashtag WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? And then if you use the car emoji, it doesn't matter what car. Any vehicle of your choosing, use the car emoji. You will be entered into a grand prize draw. Uh, prize package valued at close to $1,000 to go on a supercar ride on the Sea to Sky Highway all the way to Squamish and back with the folks from Scenic Rush. Okay, that is what's happening on the show today. Now we got to go back. We're going to tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. I'm just going to play this straight because I think it's the easiest way to go about it in terms of how to lead. Elias Pettersson scored 13 seconds into overtime yesterday. The Vancouver Canucks rallied from a deficit to win 7-6 against the Montreal Canadiens at Rogers Arena on Monday night. Nothing else of significance happened. That was it. They got an overtime win. What a game by the Vancouver Canucks. It... uh... (laughs) It actually reminded me. This is how, you know. You know how we've been talking a lot about how the NHL has changed, how no lead is safe, and how you know scoring records that we thought were never going to be broken, such as Wayne Gretzky's ninety-two goals. And I'm not saying that's going to get broken this year, but sure. all of a sudden we're we're talking about these records maybe falling. There was a game the Canucks played in 1986 that little Jason remembered listening to Jim Robson call on the radio. The Canucks went down to LA to the fabulous form and they were down five, nothing after the first period. Marcel Dion was playing very well for the Kings. He had some points, did he? The Canucks ended up tying it at seven all. They came back and tied it 7-all. Now, the difference was that the Kings ended up winning that game 9-7. Right. Uh, So the Canucks lost that one. But I actually had memories of it because I just remember 
the the disbelief that the Canucks kept scoring in their comeback. And I remember going like, Mom, hey, Mom, the Canucks just tied it. And she's like, okay, I don't care. But Where's the meatloaf? Yeah, yeah. where's the meatloaf? <laughs> like, it was, I, I guess I was like 10 years old at the time. And I wonder if that game last night will remain in the memory of any little Canucks fans because – that was a roller coaster of emotions. Yep. I'm just going to ask all of you guys where you were emotionally, <laughs> emotionally, not where you were physically, where you sure. were emotionally when the Canucks were down 4 nothing to Montreal at the end of the first period. To be honest, I wasn't that far off how I felt when they were down 3 nothing to Florida two games prior going into the first period because there were some similarities there. Yeah. There was a very quick collapse in the latter half of the first period. The goals went bang, bang, bang. And then in the Montreal case, bang again for the fourth one. <laughs> there was an extra there bang, was an extra bang in there. Now the starting goalie didn't get go down to injury, but the starting goalie in this one got the hook. So I was kind of in the, oh, well, here we go again. Where my mind grapes went was this is the kind of game that gets a head coach fired. Yes, that's where I was too. But I, I, I was thinking, man, we got a show tomorrow because we might have a new coach for the Canucks. But I wasn't like super despondent. I don't know if that's because I'm numb to the pain now or whether I was like, this is particularly worse than other efforts they put forth this year. Right. It was bad. The scoreline was super inflated. Put it this way. The one thing I did not think is, oh, they are primed for a comeback <laughs> in this game. I did not. That did not enter into the equation whatsoever. By the way, for those of you that are wondering, and kudos to the guys uh, on the post-game show yesterday, and of course Arda Ocal from uh, ESPN, who uncovered this stat. Uh, this is now the third four-goal comeback for a victory, of course. The, the comeback that leads to a victory in Canucks history. The other two, just wait for this, happened in the 70s, the early 70s, 1971 against the California Golden Seals, and then two years later in 1973 against... The Toronto Maple Leafs. So you're talking about as weird and ugly and unpredictable and chaotic as last night was. Mm -hmm. You have not seen that by a Canucks team in 50-plus years. 49 years, sorry. One less. It's a remarkable statistic. It was a remarkable game. However, you know, you you tweeted out something very salient in the midst of your you know, emotional roller coaster last night on <laughs> yeah, social media. Yeah, Twitter last night. Um, you said the victory doesn't really change anything that you thought about this team. And the victory didn't really change anything that you tweeted out previously in the game. I didn't tweet that out. You didn't? I don't think so. Oh, no. I thought, oh okay. No. Uh, I could have sworn that you had something at the end that you're like, nothing really changes what I felt or said or thought. No. No. Oh, okay. Did you just make that up? I thought so. Well, I, I said big win, but it was still awful, if that makes sense. May okay. Sorry. Maybe I thought it was Jason that tweeted out. I think the point was... That in the aftermath of the victory, mm -hmm. um, it didn't really clean up a lot for the team. Like, yes, they got two points, and yes, they're still somehow in a in the thick of a very muddled playoff chase in the West. But I, I mean, I agree with those words that you blatantly put in my mouth, yeah. and, well, and, good and, for a change. That's and, good. and alleged me uh, alleged that I actually tweeted when I did yeah. not. Um, yeah, like my first period meltdown or whatever you want to call it when I was <laughs> all caps booing on Twitter or all caps saying make changes. Like I, I still think it has to happen, but I, I'm not going to come in this morning and freak out about 
one of the best comebacks in Canucks history. I thought that was wildly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I did a lot of last night was just laugh watching the game. Yeah. Don't, don't was it? How many times did you guys? Dogs, how many times did you guys, while you're watching that game, just kind of burst out laughing well, you know that, that what was happening was happening? Because here's how it went. The Canucks were down 4 nothing, and then they came back with five straight goals, mm-hmm. and you're sitting there going, oh, my God, like, okay, so they're winning. But then they blew that lead, and they were they were losing, and you're just like, oh, oh, my God, you know, squared. And then they came came back to tie it and won it in overtime, and it was like almost like all that stuff happened in the end before you could even catch your breath. Like you, you were still recovering from the fact that they had come back to take the lead, and then they blew that lead, and then they tied it, and then they won it in overtime. And you're just sitting there going, like, how, how am I supposed to react to this? And I think the only way you can react to that is just to go, like, wow, that was, that was quite a game. It's very reminiscent <laughs> of a junior hockey game. Uh, I watch a lot of junior hockey, and you you see lots of back and forths like that, but. NHL, you're not really supposed to see a lot of back and forth. Like no, that. that's fair. But we did the other night, although yeah. the the uh, the Seattle-LA game, which ended 9-8, which is drawing a lot of comparisons to this one, uh, that was actually a reasonably tight affair. It had six game-tying goals in it. Like, it was going back and forth. This one was a 7-6 game that also featured one of the largest comebacks in Canucks franchise history. It's here in the notes, Jason. That's where it is. One of the questions that you had was, so... Was last night a positive? I guess it was, and yet I still stand by all the stuff I tweeted during the first period. That's where I got it from. Oh, so, yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah okay. I, don't, I, I knew I, I saw it listen, somewhere. Listen, the, the, the way the Canucks are um, just having these stretches where they just collapse, it's not it's not winning hockey. And don't forget they did this against a Montreal team that is quite young and quite inexperienced. They're going through a, a rebuild, but – Guys, if I were to, there's, I've got a lot of questions for you, so you got to pay attention this morning. Yep. If I were to um, ask you, what do you think the Canucks' record is in their last ten games? What would you say it is? Um, somewhere in the neighborhood of five and five, six and four. I know there's probably an overtime. Or I was going to say six and four six would have been four. My Andy. One and nine. <laughs> One and nine. Yeah, that's my guy. Yeah. Seven and three. Seven and three. Wow. Okay, yeah. Seven and three in their last ten, and yet. Because of the Canucks' negative media, yeah. it really acts like they've played a bunch of bad games. Well, it, last night was a bad game, even no, though they no. came back. Exactly. That's you know, a joke. That's, like, they've played some terrible games. Like, you know the Vince McMahon meme where every, like, he, the reaction meme? Like, every yeah. Canucks goal after they were down 4 nothing. I was so checked out after that 4 nothing goal. I'm like, Boudreaux's getting fired. This team sucks. It was brutal. <laughs> I'm checked out. It's one of the worst games I've ever watched in my entire life. Get me out of here. That was my vibe. And then every single Canucks goal was like that McMahon meme where I'm like, okay. Second goal, all right. Third goal, okay. <laughs> and each one gets a little, little bit bigger. But even after the win, I wasn't like elated or super happy. I was just like, "What the hell was that? Like that was brutal." Yeah, yeah. We got a, te- a bunch of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, uh, unsigned text. You forgot the fantastic start the Canucks had before they went down one nothing. Yeah, that almost made it worse, right? That they couldn't score, mm-hmm. and then as soon as they allowed that first goal, they completely emotionally collapsed and JT Miller was saying after the game like this is what I'm talking about the immaturity of the team we have to stop falling apart as soon as we get that first punch in the face because that's what happened in the Florida game the Canucks hadn't played very well in that first period of the Florida game right but they had a chance to at least escape the first period with 
a 0-0 draw or at the very least down one nothing. They call it nil-nil. Nil-nil, yeah. Sorry, we are in the World Cup. They had a chance to escape that first period and kind of get back to the dressing room and regroup. Instead, they allowed three quick goals on pretty dreadful defending and, and puck management, et, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And it looked like we were going to head down that road again last night, which is why I was thinking, you know, if there's a time that Bruce is going to get fired, if they're going to ever fire Bruce during the season, it's going to be after this one because you had – the bad effort against Washington, the bad effort, the even worse effort against Florida. I thought Florida was probably their worst game of the season. Sure. I know there are some candidates, but I thought so. Um, and then last night they're down 4 nothing to Montreal, and it looks like they're just – you know, when this team collapses, it really collapses. Yeah. And part of that is the new NHL. The Minnesota Wild had a game the other day where they were up – 5-1 on Dallas – and Dallas came back to tie it, and Minnesota won in overtime. So mm-hmm. that was nearly the biggest collapse in, in, in wild history. Or you can say it was the biggest collapse in wild history. Dallas scored four goals in the third period. Four goals in the third period against Minnesota. So this stuff is happening all over the league, but it seems like it's happening at a different level with the Vancouver Canucks. Last night, the trend worked in the Canucks' favor, the trend of blowing these big leads and, and no lead is safe. Mm-hmm. Um, what did the guys have to say after the game? Do we have any good audio? Because I went to bed after the game. I, <laughs> I, I, I think I passed out. I was just like, I went, I went to McDonald's, and, and I got, and, but I woke up in all the McDonald's, hadn't eaten any of the McDonald's, kind of joking. But the, the, game, Kinda. the game felt like a bender. It felt like a drunken bender. It felt like a big night out. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. There's some 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 bad stuff that happened, you know, like that that we'll tell each other stories of in ten years and but there was also some crazy good times too. Yeah, you left all your credit cards at the bar that kind of night. I have to go back today and yeah. just be like, I'm sorry, I love my credit card here. I'll settle up those tabs with you. Yeah, no, that's kind of what we I had the same feeling. Like this is like a bender that just hasn't really stopped yet as I wake up this morning. Uh Bruce Boudreaux was actually reasonably measured in his response, but it's almost like the way that he said it and what he didn't say that speaks volumes more. We'll play it now. Laddie, let's play the two clips back-to-back that we listened to this morning, just the first two, the two long Boudreaux's where he's talking about last night and then if the team could possibly build off this because as Jason astutely pointed out in one of his questions, we're talking about a team that is, for better, for worse, or otherwise, 7-3 and three in its last 10. Let's roll through some Boudreaux now. Uh, two clips We'll play them back-to-back. Laddie, take it away. You come together as a team in different ways, and if this helps uh, us become more complete, then, you know, great. You know, I mean, it's uh, uh, they'll all be going in, I'm sure, tonight saying, what just happened? But uh, I'm sure L.A. and Seattle are saying the same thing from their game the other day. So uh, we'll take it for what it is, and we'll try to uh, defend where we only give up one goal on the next game because that's how eventually you win a lot, of, a lot more games. Take well, we got two points. I mean, and <clears throat> the, the thing that I'm going to really take away from it, and it's happened a couple times now, is, is I think our team is starting to believe that they can, you know, when they get down, they can still they can still make a game of it, and uh, that's a belief that if you have that, I mean, you're never out of it. So that's that's an important thing that you can take from a game like this. Those are the words of a man that's trying to find something to take from that game, and God bless him because he has to. His team did get two points. Yeah, but... he has to take something out of that right. game. But I, I are would... we going to hear the takes of this could be the 
this could be the game that turns the Canucks season around. <laughs> I mean, he didn't do that, thankfully. But he did say, like, oh, I feel like we're finally getting to the, the, sp- the spot where, you know, we don't feel like we're out of a game. I'd look back to the two 5-1 defeats you had at home the week prior and say, I, I don't know about that one yet. But, <laughs> yeah, you seem pretty out of those games. Right, like those ones were done <laughs> real quick, and you showed no signs of life in them. I think, again, and, and this is going to give some credence to, there were a few people, and I'll give credence to these people now, there were a few people earlier in the season telling us that the Canucks' penchant for blowing multi-goal leads was more... It was in the context of, look at what else is going on around the league. That the Canucks are not the only team blowing multi-goal leads. And I push back, and I'm like, they are the only one doing it with this great regularity. But um, last night was a bit of a trend that we've seen throughout the league. You mentioned the Minnesota game. We mentioned that the Rangers have had huge problems holding on to multi-goal leads lately as well. Mm. I'll lend some credence to that well, that's notion. what happens when scoring goes up. It's, you know, it's, You're never just, out of a game. There's just more ways for games to be decided when there are more goals in those games. Now, that being said, Boudreaux also brought something up. He's like, I hope our next game our guys are going to go out, and when we defend, we only try and give up a single goal. Now, uh, that task is going to be made a hell of a lot harder now with the goaltending duo of Spencer Martin and Colin Delia. You have it in the notes here. Good question. What the hell do the Canucks have in goal right now? And I really <laughs> I really do wonder about that because Kamunga! I do. Yeah. I told we were we had, we were at a little birthday party last night and everyone was like who is number 60? Delia. And I'm like that's Colin Delia. He's a leather enthusiast from Rancho Cucamonga. And then the entire party like rec- record scratch stopped and they're like what are you talking about? How do you know all these? You know things? way too much information about the Canucks' third string, third string goalie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think they got to ride the hot hand. He's got a nine thirty eight now. He's clearly their best goalie. Whenever he plays, all he does the is Canucks win. win. All he does uh, is he's win. one to know. He's the you know, new Spencer Martin. Literally, all yeah. Spencer Martin was doing was winning as the backup, and now Colin Delia is doing it. Thatcher Demko with his eight eight three save percentage. He's Garbage. hurt anyway. Spencer yeah. Martin. Remember Spencer Martin? We used to think he was so good. He's got a. 892 yep. save percentage, and yet he's still 7-2-1 and one because he didn't take the loss last night because the him. Canucks, you know, didn't lose. Spencer Martin, they won man. the game. Spencer Martin just gets you points. Winning no longer friends with Spencer Martin, now best friends with <laughs> Colin Dealey. It was all part of yeah. Martin's plan. Get into the hole, let Colin come in, I mean, uh, I, win. I, uh, so of all the problems that this team has had this year, uh, this is just throw another one onto the pile because I, I do genuinely feel bad for Martin, who – has done his job as a backup admirably, even though the numbers don't really bear it out. Like, aside from the win-loss column, like, his numbers aren't very good, to be honest. But uh, he's now thrust into a starting job in the NHL, which is going to be an entirely new experience for a guy that, let's be honest, really only emerged as a backup goalie in the NHL last year. Off to a great start as well. Right. As a starter. Right. And so we're looking at it. And I mean, again, I'm not going to pin a ton on him and his, and his the rough start to his starting career, but this is going to be a major issue for me. Anyway, a major issue moving forward is you're not just getting going to the second and third goalies into your organization. You're going to a guy in Martin who doesn't have any experience being a starter at this level at any stretch during his career, relatively young. And then all due respect to Delia, that's an AHL goalie, right? That's that's it. Like he's he's had a cup of coffee in the NHL. It hasn't worked out. They yeah. tried him in Chicago. It didn't work. Maybe it'll turn out for him better here. But this is a, this is going to be a tough tough mountain to climb for these two guys. Credit the Canucks for coming back and winning that one. But I do think it's worth imagining what would have happened if they hadn't come back and won. Sure. Because we've already talked about 
Bruce Boudreaux, but I just remi- wonder also how much heat JT Miller would have taken because I couldn't actually believe it when I saw it that, I mean, I guess I could, but the behind-the-back pass mm-hmm. on the Canucks power play that led to a Montreal goal, Yep, it was the exact same play that he made on the five-on-three against the Coyotes. And if there was going to be a scapegoat for last night's loss, it was either going to be Bruce Boudreaux from the organization mm-hmm. or it was going to be JT Miller for making that play and just continually having no regard for puck management. Yeah. And he is one of their leaders. He is one of their uh, most highly paid players. Now, I'm not going to have a freak out about it, but someone texted it in and said, oh my God, you're kidding me. I don't know about what, but uh, the texture continues. JT Miller's stupid behind-the-back passes are the reason they started to lose. And it's one of those things where... I know people are watching these games and wondering why the coach doesn't do anything about it. Why JT Miller keeps playing 24 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. I think it's just because they need him because he's a huge part of their offense. Yeah. He provides, he's a gunslinger. I'm actually starting to respect the defiance (laughs) in which he plays. (laughs) He's like, I will not change. I will do whatever I need to do to keep the JT Miller brand alive. And I'm you don't want to give the puck away? Well, I'm going to give it away more. That's right. If you tell me not to do a behind-the-back drop pass, I'm going to do two, possibly in the same shift. Like I, well, he made the winning pass on the goal on the on the winning goal, or sorry, the, the tying goal that yeah. Kuzmenko scored. Yeah, on the power play. It he was. is up to 26 points in 26 games, 11 goals. And 15 assists. See, That's I, I said it last. Great I said, production. I, I said it yesterday. I'm like, this is kind of like JT Miller is being JT Miller. And you rightfully push back and you're like, no, he wasn't this bad in terms of puck management last year. And defensively. But too. I do wonder if maybe we glossed over it last year because one, they were winning more games. Two, he probably had a we had Demko behind him to erase a lot of the mistakes, quite honestly. And then three. Um, he's in the spotlight more because of the contract and how the offseason went, but he's still very much the same guy that was scoring at a point a game a little bit better, a little bit better than a point a game clip. I mean, he's whether you like it or not, and whether it's fair or not, or whether he deserves it or not because of all the turnovers, he's one of the most important players on this team right now. Like, just look at how Boudreaux is riding the wheels off these guys, and Miller is one of those guys that is getting the wheels ridden off him. He's playing 25 minutes. Miller, Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes. Four guys. They're all playing 25 minutes a night, and Hughes is playing close to 30. And guess what? That's how it's going to be for a good long while. Because Boudreaux is in every game matters, every point matters mode. Right? That's it's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. We talked about this yesterday. So that's kind of one of the very scary things right now. It's like a game like last night, for as big of a roller coaster as it was, and as historic a comeback as it was. I don't really think it changes anything in the grand scheme. I think the team is very similar to the one that it was before the Montreal game. Yeah. You know, they still have all the same warts and problems that they do, except now they've got a more intriguing goalie mess because Demko's out, and you got to see proof of concept of what life looks like without Demko. So moving ahead, you're like, yeah, that was a roller coaster. We'll see you again in a couple nights' time. We're going to take a quick break from the Canucks talk to talk to Peter Galindo, who is just finishing up his tour of Qatar. So we'll talk a little World Cup with two more teams still to be determined for the quarterfinals. Boy, 
Brazil was impressive yesterday. That was uh, that was a message to the rest of the tournament. Uh, we will return uh, for a few minutes after speaking with Peter Galindo to the Dunbar Lumber text line to read some of your texts about the Canucks game last night. It was a wild one. It was a fun one. It was an emotional roller coaster, just like the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. My brain barely works. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Four on a Tuesday. Good tune. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. It is time now for the cert, uh, soccer report. I was going to say the certain report brought to you by Soccer Teed. That's not right. It's the soccer report brought to you by Certain Teed. The pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. Certain Teed, pro all the way. For this soccer report, we go live to Qatar. We are joined, I believe, for the last time from Qatar, Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good, and you'd be correct. I actually fly out early, early tomorrow, so I'm going to take advantage while I can. So you've got the last of the round of 16 games today. And, you know, it's funny. Broff and I were talking about this yesterday. It's When we go into the round of 16, we're talking about all these non-traditional teams qualifying. I think it was six of the 16 were from non-South American or European countries, and it's great. And now we get closer to the final eight, and it's all the traditional power countries once again. So as much as things change in the global game, it seems as though the superstar is the cream of the crop. It all rises to the top. And in the end, we're going to have a pretty traditional-looking quarterfinals uh, from the World Cup. Yeah, from the looks of it. Um, now, Morocco could obviously throw a wrench into that. if uh, They can obviously get one over Spain, which would be quite miraculous and really add to what has been a surprising surprisingly good World Cup for them. Um, you know, Japan was probably quite unlucky not to get past Croatia yesterday. Now, having been in attendance, probably one of the highest quality, most technically gifted games I think I've ever witnessed. Um, and Japan was very unlucky not to get through. But yeah, for sure, it, it, it's looking like the, uh, the experienced heads are, are using that to their advantage by getting to the quarterfinals so far. Uh, how big a statement was it from Brazil yesterday in their dominant win over South Korea? That seemed to be an emphasis that, uh, you know what, for all the talk about Argentina possibly winning this one for Messi and, and you know, pretty much anybody else you throw out there, whether it's France or England, maybe possibly bringing it home. Um, I, I feel like Brazil has almost been slept on in a way, which kind of sounds weird to say, but... Man, they, they looked, and obviously South Korea looked pretty disjointed from the start. They looked quite overwhelmed from the beginning. But I do think that that's a team that clearly has the attacking talent, but I think more importantly, their defense, as they proved throughout qualifying, as they've proven so far at this tournament, that's a defense that could actually win a World Cup because when they have to bunker down and, and possibly grind it out, they are more than capable of doing that. So we'll see uh, if, if they're able to maybe be challenged in that way once they get to the next round and beyond. 
How incredible is that we've got, we definitely have got England-France for the first time in a World Cup Mm -hmm. knockout game. We could have Brazil and Argentina meeting in the semifinals. That seems actually likely. Um, And we also could have Spain versus Portugal in a quarterfinals, the neighboring countries that I'm sure have a bit of a rivalry. Um, Mike was talking about how all the, you know, the the underdogs have, have, have did well to, to get to the round of 16, but the cream of the crop is kind of kind of rising. Just just how excited are you as a soccer fan that we could have these incredible rivalry matches, and we will for sure have at least one with England and France. Yeah, 100%. And let me throw this one out to you. Now, it, it's a lot has to happen, but it's actually lining up that we could get an internet-breaking Portugal-Argentina final, Yeah, which I think I actually had just before the tournament started. I actually predicted that could probably happen. Um, if that were to be the case, I am staying off Twitter for several days because uh, <laughs> I think it would just be a cesspool no matter what happens. Um, but even just these quarterfinal matchups, like having seen how they line up, they're all, in, in terms of entertainment factor, they're all very high. You've got several storylines, whether it's, you know, the defending champions France against a team in England that, you know, you, you kind of look at the group they have, at least this current crop of players, and you think, well, look, if they don't do it now, then you, you really have to start thinking a little bit about the future, even with all the talent that's kind of coming through. Um, obviously, you know, if you get Spain-Portugal, that could be quite the matchup itself. Um, it, it really is excellent, and kind of more proof that really that quarterfinal, semifinal round tends to be probably in terms of entertainment as well as just the, the marquee billing, probably the best you can get at pretty much any tournament. We're speaking to Peter Galinda from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Peter joins us live from Qatar, although he'll be coming home tomorrow. Uh, with regards to Portugal and uh, Ronaldo right now, we've obviously talked about the messy side of things with Argentina. Um, where or how much oxygen has he sucked over the last 24 to 48 hours in light of what he said after getting subbed off in the final group stage match, in light of the fact that there's all these stories about him potentially switching clubs for 200 million euro per season, Mm -hmm. and he might not actually get in today. It's going to be fascinating to see what the selection is going to be like for Portugal's starting 11. How big a story has Ronaldo been over the last 24 to 48 hours in Qatar? It's almost reached a crescendo since he tried to claim Bruno Fernandes' goal against what was it, uh, Uruguay, which seems right. like it was you know two months ago. But that was probably when it kind of started, and then it's just slowly built to this point now yeah. where he's <laughs> clearly becoming more and more of a distraction as as the games go on. I, I guess we'll find out for sure just how much it affected the team when they played later. But if he's not in the eleven, which I kind of get the sense he might not be. Um, that could be really intriguing to see. First of all, if they progress, if that continues, because obviously if they win, that's more leverage for Fernando Santos not to keep playing him. But then if they lose, you know what the storylines are going to be about. So, I mean, really, it's it's super fascinating. And one that really before the tournament started, that was the question mark with Portugal. Yeah, they have back to front really good talent. They are more than capable of getting to a final just based on how Fernando Santos likes to set up, which tends to be a bit more pragmatic. But the Ronaldo factor was always the X factor for them. And so we'll see just how big it is come tonight and then if they can progress over the next round or two. 
Now that you're ready to pack up and head back after what's been a pretty couple eventful weeks, to put it mildly, in Qatar, um, I know it's hard to try and do this in the moment. Look back, you might need some time, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. What has this been like covering this tournament, the way that it started, uh, the backdrop of everything politically and socioeconomically? Then, of course, as it always is with these events, it focuses on the football, and now you've walked it all the way up to the quarterfinals. What's this been like over the last couple of weeks in Qatar? Well, I think you guys sort of said it there in that really, it, I would say up until towards the end of the first round of matches in the group stage, the off-the-pitch stuff was still very much the focus. And that's kind of what got me thinking, like, I wonder if this could be the anomaly where throughout the entire tournament we're still talking about the off-the-pitch issues. But then inevitably, I think as more dramatic results started to build up as we got that amazing finale of, of group stage matches and then obviously the round of 16 starts up, um, I feel like it's kind of slowly gone away even more. And now a lot of people are even talking about the positives that Qatar has brought as host. And I mean, to be fair, one of the, really one of the only positives I can think of that they do deserve credit for, and clearly the country's small, so this helps, but it's the fact that you are able to take in so many games and get from place to place so easily. Right. Like the furthest trip I had to take was maybe 45 minutes on a bus. And that was probably once or twice I had to do that. So that's what made this tournament, I think, really um, solid for the fans and that everything was accessible. It was easy to get to. So you get a lot of really good atmospheres. And speaking of good atmospheres, this Morocco-Spain atmosphere is based on how long it took me to walk into the media entrance to mm -hmm. the stadium. This could be yet another incredible atmosphere. Um, but that for sure is, is what I take away, that, Sure, the, the tournament as a whole, it, it's, it started slow. It, it's gotten there, and it looks like we're going to get a, a pretty entertaining finish here. But as I leave, I, I'm pretty unchanged in terms of overall just my impression of Qatar as a host, and that, yes, they were all their best behavior. You expected them to be. Um, you have nothing but good things to say about the locals, but all the issues that we were talking about before are still going to be present even after I leave and after the tournament's over. Well, Peter, uh, on behalf of Jason and everybody here at the show, I want to thank you a ton for doing this over the last couple of weeks, coming on repeatedly from Qatar to give us some great insight as to what's going on uh, on the ground and then with the games. Uh, enjoy the rest of today. Got a couple good matches before you got to take off. Travel well, be safe, and we'll do this again uh, when you get back into Canada. All right, cheers, guys. Looking forward to it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Peter. That's Peter Galindo from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That was the soccer report brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. So, yeah, we're about 16 minutes away from kickoff between Morocco and Spain to decide the seventh spot in the quarterfinals. And then, of course, later today, it'll be an all-European affair between Portugal and and Switzerland at 11 for the eighth and final spot in the bracket. And I guess the big news going into that one is whether or not Cristiano Ronaldo will be in the starting 11 for Portugal. Back to the Canucks. So I think a lot of the uh, listeners on this morning's show are still in disbelief uh, over what happened last night at Rogers Arena where the Canucks came back from a 4 nothing deficit to beat the Montreal Canadiens 7-6 in overtime. I wonder if there's at least one person listening right now that's like, wait a minute, they they won? I, I, t I turned off the game. Austin and Langley texted in and said, I was on a work call yesterday. I checked Twitter and saw Bruff's horrendous, absolutely horrendous, and then in all caps, make changes tweet. Mm. I checked the score. Yikes. 
and went to bed, woke up, and I'm still in disbelief that that actually happened. Mike in Richmond. I saw the 4 nothing score and was just like, eh, season's done already. Who cares? Who cares? Not even going to turn this one on. I work early today and went to bed at 9.30 and made the foolish mistake of checking the score one last time. I ended up watching the game on my phone in bed and didn't fall asleep till after 11, so that was neat. Enjoy work today. Uh, Mike, bunch of texts on. So, anyone else here turn the game off at 4 nothing? Another text, turn the game off after the first period and miss the comeback. Wonder how many other people did the same. Yeah, the, the thing is the Canucks in their previous two games didn't look anything like a team that was going to turn things around. And I actually wonder what the reaction in Montreal is today. They're probably sitting there going, well, these types of things are going to happen to a young rebuilding team. It's a lesson learned. There were a lot of uh, this game is drunk tweets from like the reporters and stuff. Just yeah. Ha- just kind of having a chuckle at it. At, uh, there's a decided difference, right? I mean, I don't know. Everyone knows the, the situation in Montreal. Like they're designed to be a high-scoring, defensively suspect team that's got questionable goaltending, right? Like Montembeau and whomever else. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the stakes for this season for them, like, yeah, they blew a four-goal lead, and that's a historic collapse in the grand scheme of things. But they went on the road and got a point, and they're kind of still hanging around being NHL 500. Like, that doesn't really matter for the Habs. I know some people will be upset just by the fact that when you go out in a competitive sport yeah. and you have that lead and you blow it, it's an opportunity squandered. But, I mean, if, again, you look at the two teams, they really couldn't be in different positions at this stage of the game in terms of organizational approach and philosophy. I do wonder, though, if there's any people in Montreal that are having an experience with the Habs kind of like we're having with the Seahawks, where we went into the season as Seahawks fans with very little expectations and, frankly, almost hoping for them to lose. And now they've started to win, and now we're starting to watch their their games with a completely different mindset. Like, we want wins for the Seahawks. We want the playoffs for the Seahawks. Montreal, in a much tougher conference, is still just three points out of a wild card spot. So I do wonder if there's people in Montreal that are like, hey, why not? Let's oh, let, sure, yeah, sure, let's sure. let's try and make the playoffs. Let's let's see if we can do something special here. Nobody thought this team was gonna do anything. Let, let's you know, I, I, I know we're rebuilding. I know everyone's excited at the beginning of the season about possibly being in the Connor Bedard lottery, but hey, this team might not might not actually be all that bad. I mean the one thing I'll say about just I know we're not gonna turn this into a Habs thing, but no. um last night uh, wasn't the first time that the Habs have given up a ton of goals recently, right? I think they lost to Buffalo two weeks ago, 7-2. to two. They were down in San Jose. They lost 4 nothing. They were in Edmonton. They lost 5 I think they bleed goals yeah. with regularity. Like, I would say there were probably some savvy Habs fans that when they got up 4 nothing, they are like, I bet it doesn't end 4 nothing tonight, right? Uh, Jimmy from North Van. They won? I missed the first period buying a tree and saw the score and said, nope, just heard it from you First, what we do here at the Halford and Brush. The Canucks actually won last night, seven six in overtime. Elias Pettersson with the winner, uh, taking the puck from a fella called Matheson. You remember him? Who's got a bit of a history um, with Bo Horvat scored again. He's up to twenty goals. Twenty goals for Bo Horvat? Like, Uh, is that even real? Oh yeah. He's got like seven assists too. He's going to win the Cy Young as well. Like this is incredible. It's him, Connor McDavid, and Jason Robertson are the best goal scorers in the NHL right now. It's remarkable, honestly. And he just keeps doing it and doing it. Someone got on my case 
and said Halford scoffed at the idea of Bo fetching a first-round pick. I think I did do that, but I think it was before he went on the pace to score 60 this year in my defense. I didn't you think- scoffed at that? If, if they don't get anything more than a first, like I, I expect a first round pick and an asset. I may be throwing. I may be throwing myself under the bus. I don't remember the context of when this happened or what we were talking. about. I think about. it rings a bell, though. Yeah, I think it does too. Anyway, I um, think you're so down on every tra- tra- like value for for a Canuck yeah. um, because we're talking about essentially giving away Brock Besser, Connor Garland. Can't give away uh, uh, obviously a bunch of contracts without. Adding a sweetener or retaining salary, but Horvat, the way he is playing, and he is a center. If the Canucks trade Horvat, they better get a first round pick, and it's probably going to be a late first round pick, right? Considering that it's going, they're they're going to go. He's going to go to. I imagine he's going to go to a contender as a rental, um, unless he goes somewhere else and they sign him to a long term contract, and that's part of it. Um, I guess he could still re-sign with the Canucks. I was but just going to say, or unlikely. maybe they don't trade him at the deadline because they don't like the return, and then they just decide to give him a long-term contract. Have they ever done that before? Before the season, you guys, would you have ever envisioned Bo Horvat scoring 50 in a season? His highest was 31. No, but he's on pace for what, 50? Close to 60. Yeah, it's, it is remarkable. Mm-hmm. But, is I he mean, this year's Chris Kreider? Like, what's going on here? Kreider, got, Kreider did. It's 50, weird because right? Kreider's a winger. Though, yeah, right? he's old, and Bo's only yeah. twenty-seven. Yeah. Kreider did fifty. Was it last year? Two years ago? Last, last year. year, right? Yeah, and I remember that one really jumped off the page. But I remember thinking the guy had forty goal potential because, as you mentioned, he's a mm. winger and he's a power forward, and he kind of feasts on the power play. I never envisioned Horvat doing this. It's obviously. pretty rare for a center to be scoring this many goals with that few assists. Yes. It is a bit of a skewed number. I, I actually do wonder if some teams will look at that and go, is this just guy, this guy just on a goal-scoring heater? Like, why does he have so few assists? Yeah, I mean, I guess the other part of it, too, is if you want to flip the, the script on it, it's that um, he's been wildly effective on the power play. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's a particular mm-hmm. position where he's sitting. But I do, wonder how, I, I do wonder how teams are going to look at him, right? Let's say their power play is set. Let's say their, 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 their five-man unit is sitting there and going like, we like our power play. We're not going to take anyone off the power play. So what is Horvat actually worth to us? Will See, there, that's interesting. Yeah, will there be teams that look at him and go, um, yeah, he's a goal scorer, but you know, look at his numbers, his underlying numbers, he's not that great defensively. It's funny because as a rental. He's just got that spot on yeah. the Canucks, right? He's the, he's the trigger man in the middle of the ice. But as a rental, it almost becomes more tantalizing. Like, oh, man, we've got him on a heater. We should pick that up, right? Like you, we'll 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 take the tail end of this like, career season that he's having, where everything's going in for him. Plus, some pro- on your power play unit's probably going to get injured at some point. Right, It'd be nice to have him there. But as a long term investment, it might actually be a little less enticing. You know what I mean? Like I think I think Horvat is a rental with the kind of season that he's having has huge value now, right? Because you're going to say, well, we're banking on two or three months with this guy, depending on how far we go in the playoffs. And he's he's just on a heater. Like everything that he is touching is going in the net. Mm-hmm. That's part of the the lure. That's part of the dangling carrot when you get in on a guy at the deadline. Is he playing really well? Great. I know that we're gonna have a change of scenery and everything, but he's also putting the puck in the net with pretty good regularity. Jay and Delta, really? No credit to Miller for Horvat's heater? Yeah, he absolutely deserves credit. Miller, for all his warts, does make some incredible passes. Yes. He is the, – the, the, there's a reason why he piles up points. There's a reason why he's a point-of-game guy. 
We've compared him to Brett Favre. Did Brett Favre throw a lot of interceptions? Sure did. Yeah, did he make some plays where you're kind of like, what is Favre thinking there? Like, sometimes you just have to throw it away, you, you, you gunslinger. But then there are, there are times when you just be like, well, that's Brett Favre doing Brett Favre things. I mean, the guy won a lot of games, right? Like, that is what you almost accept when you've got a player like JT Miller. Now, I think there have to be limits. I think there have to be, <laughs> hey, JT, we want you to be creative. We do want you to take chances. That's what your game is, but – you know, not the crazy chances, right? Like not, 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 and not over and over again. The behind the back pass that defenders obviously have been watching on tape. I mean, the one against Arizona, you telegraphed it, right? Like yeah. you completely said, like I'm going to the point here. And on a five on three, you just don't need to do that, right? You because you've already got a lot of space. You don't have to use a ton of misdirection to pass the puck back to the point. Yeah. You know, those are the things that I feel like he did those things last year, yes, but not as egregiously as this year. One, I'd have to go back and look at the tape. I'd have to eat tape like a scout and see exactly how much more of a high-risk, high-reward player he's being this year. I think anecdotally and maybe just from the narrative that we've crafted in part between memory, but also because of what we've seen this year, I think that there would be a divide. There would be like, okay, he, some of the chances that he's taking this year, he wasn't taking last year. But I think if we go, if we went back and looked at it, we might be surprised. Because I do think that last year, a lot of mistakes on this team, be they JT Millers or otherwise, were masked by unbelievable goaltending. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing right now, especially last night. Like, no, no disrespect to Spencer Martin, who's been put in a very difficult position, and Colin Delia who was also put in a very difficult position having just joined the team a handful of days ago. But, you know, when you when you go back and look at how well Demko played last year, it really only exacerbates how bad it's been in that this year, does it not? I mean, it, it yeah. really underscores it. And oftentimes, it's a cliche, but it's been said, good goaltending erases a lot of mistakes in front of you. And it makes you look better as a player, makes you look better as a coach, it makes you look better as a team. Your gunslinger analogy for Miller is the most accurate. That's exactly what he is. He's a high-risk, high-reward guy. And people will say, okay, well, that's great. And But I think you have to understand exactly what that means, what a gunslinger is and what high-risk, high-reward truly means. Because with risk comes failure. You can't just say, well, he takes a lot of risks and he gets a lot of points. Yes, but he takes a lot of risks and they cost the team. When you put a guy like that in a front-facing leadership position make no mistake he sets the tone for not just like how much he plays but how the rest of the team plays like if you were to be a young guy on the team you're like man how do I get more ice time how do I get close to 25 minutes a night spin around three times fire it wildly across the ice and hopefully it finds a teammate and then yeah so in one shift it's a turnover <laughs> and the next shift you're setting up Kuzmenko for a 6-6 goal David Amber is going to join us next on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650